So welcome to this uh, podcast this morning. I'm joined by Anna, uh, which is uh, great to be here with Anna as as usual. Um, and and I'm really delighted to be joined by uh, Imogen Llewellyn. Um, now, Imogen will introduce herself in a second. Uh, these podcasts are going to be a little bit different. So these are going to be patient podcasts. And and I think, you know, the first thing I think Anna and I would would say is we probably should apologize that we've not done this sooner. Um, we know we've had a, a many patients now reach out to both of us and say that they found some of the podcasts really useful. They found them, you know, by luck or by chance and and have found them valuable, but have felt that they're often not really the right level and they've taken bits but haven't really known what to do with some of the information. Uh, and so after a, quite a lot of feedback, both from patients and colleagues, you know, Anna and I felt that it was probably time that we we did some podcasts for patients and really just took this head on and 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 tried to put something in this space that that could be useful. And so in co-creating this, this isn't about what Anna and I think are important. In fact, that's probably the least important thing. We've spoken to patients, we've spoken to wider teams, CNSs, AMPs, and collected questions together. Um, and so in a fairly unfiltered way today, we're going to take those questions on. Um, Imogen, who's kindly uh, come up with some of these questions, but also helped us collate these questions, is going to, in essence, put us through our paces. Um, a little bit like we did with our medical students and, and primary care, and they were two of the my, you know two of the most favourite podcasts we've done. So just to say, as as we do at the start of any podcast, you know this is information that's relevant as of the end of November 2023. This will change. There will things that we'll talk about today that this is really what Anna and I are doing in our real world clinical practice. This is what we're advising patients, but we absolutely accept and we, in fact, we actively encourage that this, this field moves on, that we get research to answer some of the questions. So um, Imogen, it would be lovely maybe just in 30 seconds or a minute, if you're happy to just sort of say who you are, you know, your journey just briefly maybe and then we'll kick into some questions. Of course thank you so much for having me. So I'm Imogen, I'm 35 years old, I'll give you the really really short version of the last five years but I am a stage four melanoma patient although I was diagnosed stage two back in 2014 um, with a mole on my back that was removed. I had a very short course of immunotherapy actually then that I don't think is offered routinely today. Um, and then I had five years of clear skin checks and pretty much to the day, five years post my stage two diagnosis, I was diagnosed stage four melanoma. I had a routine abdominal MRI scan for something entirely separate, which just happened to pick up tumours in my lungs. So I started immunotherapy pretty sharpish. Um, and yeah, I had um, lots of side effects, which made meant I had to have some breaks along the way um I had a couple of big operations in the middle of it as well I had a bilateral lung resection a couple of years ago and a liver resection also a couple of years ago um but today November 2023 I'm one year post treatment um and three years of clear scans so yeah I'm in a really really lucky position um obviously anything can change at any point but yeah I'm hopeful for the future. So that's me. Right. Thanks, Imogen. Really, really appreciate you being on today. 
Um, so look, Imogen, let's, I mean, let's just kick off, I guess, um, and, and, and ask us anything you like. Ask the difficult ones to Anna, but ask us anything you like. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to pretend, I guess, that I'm a newly diagnosed patient um, about to start on my immunotherapy journey. Um, so from the very beginning, I guess most newly diagnosed patients will come to you guys and perhaps will have heard the word chemotherapy, but maybe not the word immunotherapy. So what is immunotherapy and how does it actually work? Okay, so we both fight over this question. Anna, <laughs> I'm going to let you take it. Go for it. Oh, thanks, Ricky. <laughs> so Imogen, thank you for, for joining us and, and for quizzing us. I think this is a really, really great opportunity to explore all these questions that um, that I think we we need to be asked and we need to kind of give a framework for. And uh, and it's a Sunday morning, so we're very grateful that you've given up your time to do so. So thank you. So what is immunotherapy? The, 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 the biggest question of all, I suppose, really. Um, so essentially, it is it is very fair to say that these are new drugs, we haven't had them for very long. Um, and they basically activate your own immune system to seek out and hopefully destroy your own cancer cells in, in basic terms. So so what happens is when when a cancer becomes established and 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 gets to the point where you can pick it up on a scan and you you as patients come and see us in clinic, um, ultimately what's happened as part of that process is the cancer has found a way to hide from the immune system. And melanomas particularly are very good at this, but what we've learned is that actually lots of cancer groups, lots of different types of cancers are very good at hiding from the immune system. So normally before a cancer becomes um, established, you have something called immunosurveillance. So you have blood cells that are wandering around your body, seeking out abnormal abnormal things to break down. And they are bacteria, viruses, but also any of your own abnormal cells that have become changed for whatever reason, just by chance normally. And the immune system recognises those as slightly unusual and, and, and gets rid of them. When you get a cancer established, they find ways of of hiding from that mechanism. And so actually your immune system becomes nearly powerless against them. And what immunotherapy essentially does is rearms your immune system to be able to, to, to break down those cancer cells again. Um, and in doing so helps you as an individual actually fight your own cancer. Yeah, Which is pretty right. cool, I would say, actually, yeah. as it goes. <laughs> um, Rick, I don't know if you want to pick up about whether about the kind of chemotherapy, immunotherapy question. Yeah, no, happy to. So, you know, I, I think the first thing I always say to patients is that they are different and very different. And and so, you know, the, the simple answer to that question is that chemotherapy is not the same as immunotherapy. They, they work in different ways. So chemotherapy is often in some way targeting the DNA or the proteins around the DNA. And clearly, as Anna's articulated, immunotherapy is about stimulating the immune response. And as I think we'll come back to later, the side effects are very different. And so that's that's the most important thing. So they're different drugs, but more importantly, I think for the, the basis of this conversation, they've got different side effect profiles. And so the things that we worry about with chemotherapy aren't the same things that we worry about with immunotherapy. Brilliant. Thanks. OK, so moving on. What will happen when I receive my immunotherapy treatment? So how is it given? How long does it take even? Does it hurt? Those types of things, I guess. I'll take this question because I'm embarrassed to say, I don't think I cover this very well, Anna, in my consultations. Um, 
So, so most immunotherapies are drip treatments. And what that means is they're given via a drip or a cannula that's put into an arm. Some people might have a line that stays in, but as a rule, they'll have a, a little drip put up each time they come for treatment. And so it's given IV, so intravenously. It will typically be given on some sort of day unit or treatment unit. Um, it will Again, it will be uh, given by what we call SAC nurses, which is systemic anti-cancer therapy nurses, so uh, or teams really. There's normally wider teams nowadays who are specifically trained in delivering these treatments. And so what will happen on the day of treatment, because this is something I don't think I really ever talk about, is that you will typically come to a treatment unit. The, the team on the unit will check that you feel well, uh, do some observations typically to check that you're well enough to have treatment, ask you some questions, check there's nothing that's happened since you've seen your team last time. They will pop that tube in, they will put the treatment up, and then they will give you that treatment over a period of time. And that, that time will depend on uh, the, the type of treatment that's been given, the, the, the drug of immunotherapy being given. Typically, you won't see your oncologist the day you come for treatment. And again, one of the questions people do tend to say is, will I see you on the day of treatment? It's not impossible that they may see me, but it's it's not typical that they'll see me um, on the unit. Anna, anything you'd add to that? Yeah, I suppose a, a few bits that sort of just uh, as time goes on, you know, as, as things change. So, um, so you will almost certainly have a blood test and be asked to go for a blood test before you have your treatment. Now, different places in the country do this differently. So some places will will expect you to come into your cancer centre one or two days before your treatment. Others, you'll be able to have your blood test done close to your home. And then the treatment nurses will get those bloods and, and review them before they review you. So I think, but whatever way, you will be expected to have a blood test um, done before every treatment. Um, in terms of the the timing, it takes anywhere between half an hour and two hours to give these treatments, depending on whether you're having one drug on its own or two drugs together, and and, and which ones they are, as as Ricky was saying. So you know you can be expecting to be in the centre for for quite a for quite a while. I think the, as time goes on, and obviously you can tell me more than than I know than I know about this, but it sort of becomes a bit of a rhythm, and so you actually sort of you kind of get used to the pattern of what's going to happen. But the first couple of times, it can feel really really unusual and and quite scary so so I think you know be reassured that your team and your nurses that are going to be giving you treatment know that that's how it feels and, and are there to support you just a couple of things that are changing over time really as we're giving more immunotherapy and we're having to to find ways of being able to treat as many patients as we as we need to so one is that some places are giving treatment either in places that aren't aren't cancer hubs, cancer centres. Some people are even setting up sort of um, treatment centres in supermarkets and, and, and on buses. So you might be asked to go to somewhere slightly bizarre and it all sound a bit strange. So that's one thing. And, and actually some places in the country and more as we go on are actually offering for you to have treatment at home. So that's something that, um, that that is worth asking about and also sort of starting to think about and trying to get your head around whether that's something you want. Because some people feel that that would actually fit into their lives better. It's nice not to have to go into the cancer centre and see the cancer centre and all of the, the feelings that that sort of elicits. But other people say, actually, I want my treatment to be completely separate from my life. So and that's that's a very that's a very individual thing. So so not everybody will want to have treatment at home. 
if your centres are offering treatment at home, normally what happens is you have a couple, anywhere between two and four normally treatments within a within a within a hospital setting, and then and then often you're offered to have treatment at home or or in some smaller places, um, you can also have treatment at work. So so we're sort of getting closer and closer towards you, but you, but it's very reasonable to say that if that's offered by your centre, it's okay not to want that, and it's okay to really want that. It, it it's absolutely fine either way, but it just everybody feels slightly different about it. So worth having worth having a question about that about whether that's a possibility and then how how you feel about it and then I think the other thing that's changing and will change quite quickly over the coming months is that at the moment all nearly all of these drugs are given intravenously as, as Ricky was saying but actually there's one of the one of the drugs now that can be given what we call subcutaneously um, and which is an injection that just sits just slightly under the skin and that injection is given anywhere between 7 and 15 minutes sort of uh, sort of slowly injected under the skin but there are more drugs that are going to be becoming subcut given as a possibility so sometimes you may actually be be told or be offered the option of having a subcutaneous injection rather than intravenous injection and that's likely to become more of a thing I would say over the next six to 12 months so don't be surprised if 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 your doctor is saying oh no actually we're going to give this as an injection under the skin that doesn't mean they're not giving you immunotherapy it's just that time's changing quite quickly at the moment about that. Oh, that's great, Anna. Yeah, and 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 you're right. That subcutaneous thing. It's it's interesting because people talk a lot about it. But because I don't treat a site where it's available, it's not something I I think a great deal about. So beautifully brought out. Um, Imogen, back to you, Annie. Yeah, that was so helpful. Honestly, you, as you say, things have changed so much since when I, even a couple of years ago when I was having treatment. Um, but you did forget to mention the most important thing that you also get offered as a patient cups of tea and lots and lots of biscuits normally and that also yeah. helps the whole process that's got to be helpful everything with a cup of tea is better surely oh, oh yeah. and also just just to answer your question because you did you did ask and I think this is a really really important question does it hurt it shouldn't yes. so it shouldn't be painful um, and actually on the on the day of treatment most people who are having immunotherapy feel entirely underwhelmed which is what we want but I think it, it you get it gets it gets built up because it's it is a really big deal your first treatment and and, and your treatment days um, and and it's not to sort of diminish that at all but i think people kind of get quite worried about it and and we know and others and they may have had friends that have had chemotherapy and chemotherapy can be quite quite challenging on the day that you get given the infusion but most people don't have any any real effects at all there are some people who get sort of a bit achy and a bit it's sort of flu-likey for, for the first sort of day or so after treatment I'd say that's probably a small number maybe one in five people will get that sort of just general sort of sort of just just a bit achy around the edges and then there is a, an even smaller number really small number less than one in a hundred people who get back pain when they have their infusion and that's a bit of an infusion reaction and we take that quite seriously because we, we want to change things and make sure that doesn't happen again but it's just to say if you have if you have your dose of immunotherapy and you do get back pain please do tell your treatment nurse because it's important that we know about it and then we can fix it it's not it's not really it's it, we see it but it's not expected. So if you're experiencing it, we can make that better. So please do let us know. But most of the time, it's not painful. Bob, thank you. Okay, moving on. Um, so how could you tell if your immunotherapy is working? Does it work straight away or does it? do you have to wait a few months to see any results? Yeah, and I mean, I think that's a really, really good question. Again, it's a question that people ask often. So, you know, most, in fact, all, I think that's fair to say, all patients will be, will will have um, 
scans to check that the treatment's working. And so it will depend, and we'll talk a little bit about this later, it will depend on the setting that we're giving the immunotherapy. So you talked about the fact that you had it as a stage four patient where the cancer has spread, but increasingly we're using it in, in other stages of patients. Uh, for some of those patients, it will be adjuvant, and we'll talk about what that means later. So it will be your scan will be clear, before you start treatment. So we use scans to assess response. And clearly for someone who's adjuvant, that will be hopefully that the scans stay clear. And for some with stage four disease, it will be that we're aiming to control or, or shrink down the tumours. Um, and, and we'll talk about maybe what that means a little bit later. Um, and then in terms of, you know, does it work immediately? I don't think we know the answer to this question. So, you know, we know that people can respond relatively quickly. Uh, and we know that can be within days or weeks of starting treatment. Do we stimulate an immune response, you know, immediately? Yes, there's likely to be a degree that we get the immune system, you know, more active in some way. But I think we have to bear in mind that the immune system is really complicated. And so, you know, Anna beautifully talked about what immunotherapy is earlier. But what we know, the more we look at the immune system, the more we realise there are lots and lots of players um, with lots and lots of cells and lots and lots of chemicals that, that we're really only just sort of scraping the surface of. And so I think we're still learning about the way the immune system gets activated from the immunotherapy. Anna, anything else you'd add to that? Just to say, I think it's it's a really like when I was when I first started using these drugs and being involved in, in in the use of these medications for people. I think even I had to get my head around the fact that everybody's different. And the reason that everybody's different is ultimately the, the, the drug and your cancer don't interact with each other. So the, the drug makes your immune system activated. And then there's a step that then needs to happen before we see a response. And that step is that your immune system then has to recognise and start being able to break down your cancer cells. And that means that everybody's response time is different. And, and actually, that's why it's a very individual, personalised response to treatment, interestingly. So some people have got an immune system that acts really quickly um, and you, you give a treatment and yes, they you, you see signs of the immune system being activated, sometimes within that first day. And other people feel completely well and nothing really happens for months. And we, and we know from the, the trials that we've done that people can have what we call a delayed response when actually we don't see anything until sort of three, four, five, even six months after we've given treatment so I think it's one of those things where and I tend to talk to people this right at the beginning the fact that we're not sure when your immune system is going to react and actually what what has to happen is we give a drug your immune system gets activated your immune system then finds your cancer it then does lots of funky things with your immune system so there's enough immune cells to actually cause your tumor to get smaller and then we have to be able to see that on a ct scan so actually it's quite a long process so so that's why sometimes people will go and see their their consultant after they've had their first scan and they'll go things haven't changed massively but we're going to carry on with immunotherapy and that's why because actually sometimes it just takes longer for you to get to the point where you can see a response on a CT scan but some people we can see it within the first the first few days of treatment and it is genuinely that variable so your doctors will guide you through what they think what they think is happening I think now is a really good time to talk about the fact that sometimes when you have your first scan that actually your cancer can look a bit bigger 
because what we're doing is we're we're asking the immune system and all those immune cells to flood into your cancer and do some work there and sometimes that can make it look a bit swollen and inflamed because that's what happens when the immune system's active and so for some people on their first scan their cancer will look a bit bigger than it was when they started and even then their consultants will say to them actually we're going to carry on with immune therapy and it might mean that this means it's working so how much the cancer's grown helps him tell us whether whether that's the case or not. But actually, it is quite possible that you'll go for your first scan and it will feel very disheartening because that's not what that's never what we hope to be told. But that's why. So sometimes we see this thing called pseudo progression or things getting bigger before they get smaller. So quite often, as long as you're well, we'll carry on for longer. But there is method in our madness, and that's the reason why that happens. That's really reassuring because I'm sure that can be really disconcerting, especially on the first scan as well. Um, So this is something that I definitely underestimated and I totally appreciate that every patient is different. But talking about scanning, um, how often will I be seen? Because I absolutely assumed that I would just come to clinic once every couple of weeks and I forgot about the scanning, the blood tests especially with toxicities being referred to other specialties, perhaps in other hospitals. So how often will I be seen? Yeah, and so I think I think this is really individual, um, Imogen. And, and I think, you know, you're absolutely right to say, and again, I think maybe we don't do this enough of a service when, when we talk about, you know, oh, you'll come for treatment and we maybe don't talk about the fact that you'll need blood tests regularly. And, and if the blood tests aren't exactly right, we'll need to do more before your next treatment. Um, so I think, you know, talking about, you know, so so in terms of how often you'll be seen, you'll certainly be either seen or spoken to because, in you know, we we can do quite a lot of things now virtually and whatever virtual means. Um, but you're, you know, the, in, prior to each treatment, there will typically be some bloods. There will typically be a conversation or an assessment. Um, and then obviously there will be the treatment itself. Now, you know, Anna and I, you know, we we talk about the consultant, but in reality, this is really a team of people who are looking after you. And in fact, it may be a team of people who give you scan results and 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 make those decisions about continue not continuing. So sometimes we use the word consultant. What we really mean is, you know, the, the the wider team. And so remember that there's also, you know, you'll typically have a a key worker or a CNS, and and that person, you know, you may want to speak to about things between your kind kind of standard uh, appointments too. So I think the the important point I would say is that you'll be seen regularly, you'll be spoken to regularly, there'll be, you know, a fair amount of tests. And and when we talk later about when you stop treatment or if you're having treatment in the adjuvant setting, so for a defined period of time, if you don't have treatment or you stop treatment, you're still going to be seen regularly for a period of time. And there's a really important piece, and, and we may pick this up later, about how we interact with the primary care team. Because again, um, we've talked before, Imogen, about that being like when you stop, that you, you know, there's almost a you you feel like you've fallen off the the conveyor belt and there isn't you know the same team and people around you and so it's important to say that even if you're not on treatment it doesn't mean that there won't be some ongoing regular input um Anna anything you want to add to that just just to say that what we've realized with immunotherapy is that you don't 
necessarily need to see a, a, your medical team every time you have treatment. So historically, and some centres are still working like this, um, that you'll see your medical team, be that a registrar or a nurse or a consultant, every time you have treatment. And some centres are still working like that, but not everywhere is. So I think it's worth, and really this is sort of in, to empower you to ask at your first or second appointment what you what that's going to look like for you because everybody's pathway is slightly different so in in my practice I will see people and my team will see people the first time we talk to them about having treatment and then because of various requirements in the way that we're allowed to give immunotherapy we will then normally talk to you after you've had your first treatment but then after that we were that we then don't tend to see you either by phone or, or face-to-face until you've had your first scan and we've got your results of your first scan but you will be seen in that time by the nurses giving treatment the people taking your bloods you will and should absolutely feel empowered to ring your your clinical nurse specialist you know actually they're there as a constant source of support and I don't think I don't think people feel confident always to to reach out to them because they they don't necessarily know them and they and, and they don't know what's going on but actually I find our clinical nurse specialists are amazing and actually would much prefer to hear from people than not. The worst thing, I think all my nurses are always very distressed if somebody's been struggling and hasn't told us because actually that we really want to know, but we can't do anything about it if we don't know. So so this is a plea to say, if you are struggling with any element of it, be it what where, where things are happening, what the journey looks like, if you've got questions after your consultation that came up only after you've been thinking about things, please do reach out to your team. They'd be really keen. They're really, they are always really keen to hear from you. But yeah, everybody's pathway will be slightly different but your your team will be very happy to walk through what that will look like for you you know at the beginning of your at the beginning of the sort of treatment um pathway so so please do um and i think it's important to do that because it will be different for different services in different places in the country okay um anna just before we so in the general, I think what we'll do, let's let's bring this first podcast to a to a conclusion because as I suspected, there's going to be a lot of other things for us to talk about. And then let's pick up um in the second podcast uh, and we'll keep going. So let's bring this one to a close. Um please, if you're a patient, listen to this, do join us for the next podcast. Um and we'll we'll take on some more of these questions. I will see you both shortly.